Welcome to the listener's commentary on 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here in this session, we're going to look specifically at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And this section serves in a lot of ways as just a bridge between what Paul has just been talking about and into the exhortational section of the letter, the part of the letter where Paul gives some instructions and commands about things he wants them to do. So at the end of chapter 2, Paul had been praying for the Thessalonians. Here he begins chapter 3 by uh, requesting prayer for himself and his team. And then out of that, he really expresses his conviction, his confidence that the Thessalonians themselves are going to do what Paul's about to command them. And then he has another little prayer prayer request, prayer blessing almost for them as well. Uh, So in order to hear this section well, particularly in order to hear Paul's prayer requests in this section well, it would actually be helpful to you to flip back to Acts 18, Acts 18, and just review what's been going on in Paul's life. I'll hit the high points real quick, but you might want to read that to get the details because it helps us hear really in three-dimensional language, why Paul would ask for the things he does as far as a prayer request. So if you recall, Paul had left Thessalonica, went to Berea, then fled from Berea under opposition from Thessalonica down to Athens. He had preached in Athens, hadn't gone so well, didn't make many converts, and essentially almost got laughed out of town, and then on to Corinth. And now he's at Corinth writing to the Thessalonians, and things haven't been going super easy in Corinth either. In fact, there's a new proconsul uh, that the Romans have appointed there in uh, Corinth. His name is Gallio. The Jews decided to test out the new leadership, and so they drug Paul before the proconsul with uh, some accusations. Uh, there's been some just opposition, therefore, to Paul's ministry. And, and Corinth is a rather large city. In fact, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, You know, O Corinthians, that when I came to you, I came with fear and weakness and trembling. Big city. It had been a rough handful of um, months in ministry, and so Paul wasn't in his best place. And so it's been a tough time for Paul in ministry. He's experienced quite a bit of opposition and difficulty. He's experiencing it right there in Corinth himself. And so that helps us understand the backstory behind his prayer requests. So with that, let's listen to what he says here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it was also with you, and that we will be rescued from troublesome and evil people, for not all have the faith. And so Paul invites the Thessalonians to pray for him and his team. That fact in itself is important, and Paul frequently does this in his letters. To the churches he's writing to, he requests prayer from them on his behalf, which is really good for us to see that here is the great Apostle Paul, this apostle and church planter who had great faith in Jesus, and yet he He embodies dependence on the prayers of people, and he's vulnerable enough to to ask people to pray for the things he's really concerned about. And so he sees himself as genuinely needing their prayers and invites them into that. And so now they're partners with him in prayer. And so Paul, Paul invites the Thessalonians here to pray for two things specifically on his behalf. First, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. 
So he's asking that in view of everything that's gone on, that God would still continue to open doors for the word, for the message about Jesus. So he asks that the word of the Lord would spread rapidly, literally that it would run. That's the idea of spread rapidly, that it would run, that there would be rapid progress. That it, would, it wouldn't just crawl, that it wouldn't just inch forward. Paul says, would you pray that God would somehow make the, the message about Jesus run forward, spread rapidly, and be glorified, that it would be honored, that it would, it would, right, like it wouldn't be treated with disdain or shame or contempt, that it would actually be honored in, in town and honored among people. And so that's his first request, that, that the word of God would go forward with honor and with speed, just as it did in Thessalonica, he says, just as it did for you guys. Second request, verse two is, and that we will be rescued from troublesome and evil people for not all have the faith. And so that's his second request, that they would be delivered or rescued. Um, this particular word translated rescued here, ruamai, is always used in the New Testament as rescue by God. So we're asking God to rescue him as something only he can do, to rescue him from troublesome uh, and evil people. That word trouble, troublesome means people that are just out of place, improper, right? People that just make life hard. They do things that are difficult. Uh, some translations translate it as perverse, not perverse in the sense of, you know, just wickedly corrupt per se, but literally it's atapas in Greek, which is just out of place. They, they don't fit. They're people who are just bothersome, troublesome people. So troublesome people and from um, evil people, from those that are evil, those that are wicked, those that don't believe the truth, those that want to stir up trouble for Paul and his ministry, those that try to undermine the message of God. And so pray for us that, that the message of, uh, about Jesus would go forward with speed and with honor and pray that we would be rescued from difficult and troublesome people. Now, what does Paul have in mind by deliverance from these troublesome people? And I think if we look at Paul's writings in total and, and some of the way Paul expresses himself, not only in Thessalon the Thessalonian letters, but also in other letters, we need to realize that Paul doesn't believe by asking for this, that that means that, that he's going to not have any opposition or hardship. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 3 that hardship is just part and parcel of life of faith, right? Like, just be prepared for that. It's He says in Acts chapter 14, when he's going back to the churches he started on his first journey, he says that it's through many hardships that we enter the kingdom of God. So he doesn't seem to have in mind when he says, be delivered from these troublesome and evil people, like a total absence of opposition or hardship. He seems to expect that. Uh, I think what he has in mind is more the idea of strengthening to resist the, the difficulty, and that the difficulty wouldn't win the day, that the, the evil people, the troublesome people wouldn't win the day. I think that's what he has in mind, and that's really the way it played out for him when you read Acts chapter 18. There was hardship, there was opposition, but Gallio actually tossed the case out of court. Now, Gallio, in essence, said, look, Jews who are trying to bring trouble here, this is just an intramural Jewish debate. This is not something for Roman law to you know, get involved in. So you guys deal with it. I don't want to have anything to do with it, which actually means going forward from that moment, there is an official Roman legal ruling precedent 
for not involving themselves in this debate between Jews and Paul and Christians about whether Jesus is the Jewish Messiah or not. And and so God seems to have answered this prayer in delivering Paul from troublesome and evil people. With that, then, Paul goes on here in this small little section at the beginning of chapter 3 and says, uh, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is the one who will hear these prayers and work on Paul's behalf and on the Thessalonians' behalf because he's trustworthy. He's dependable. That's the idea of faithful. God can be counted on, and so we can have confidence in him because the Lord is faithful. And then Paul says, he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So Paul's been asking uh, for them to pray for him to be delivered from troublesome and evil people. But Paul assures them that he has confidence in God, not only for himself, but also for the Thessalonians, that God will strengthen and protect them because they're experiencing difficulty and hostility as well. And so Paul really offers himself almost as a model and an example of confidence in God. So inviting them to pray for him and then having confidence that God is faithful. And then he assures them that God will be the one that will will strengthen them and protect them from from evil or the evil one. That word can be translated either way. It's either from evil as a concept or the evil one himself. It could be either one. But the point is, God is the one who will will protect you. He will strengthen you, deliver you from evil. Um, Verse 4, he goes on and says, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will do what we command. And so reassurance that I believe in you. We have confidence in you, O Thessalonians, that you already are doing and you will continue to do the very things we command. Probably things that he taught them and told them when he was with them, that he taught them and told them in his letters thus far, and probably also looking forward to what he's about to tell them. Because verse 6 is going to begin the exhortational section of the letter, and it begins with, now, we command you, brothers and sisters. And so he's probably looking forward to what he's just about to say, that that you are already doing things we've commanded, and you're going to do what we command. And he's about to command them something in the last major section of the letter here, picking up in verse 6. And so we have confidence in you. And this is really a persuasive appeal in some regards, saying we believe in you, and we believe you're going to continue to be faithful in this. Verse 5 then, may the Lord direct your hearts. So again, another prayer for them. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the perseverance of Christ. I find it just so refreshing, so amazing, so encouraging to see how easily Paul shifts into the language of prayer. And it really speaks of Paul's example, some of the things he writes in his letters where he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. Colossians chapter 4, be devoted to prayer. Like, keep doing it. Like, this is something Paul commanded his, his churches to do, is to pray all the time. And really, we're seeing that here in 2 Thessalonians, where Paul just is writing and teaching, and then all of a sudden he shifts into the language of prayer, that Paul is just driven by prayer. His ministry is undergirded by prayer, and he regularly prays for his audience. And it shows up here in this letter where, as the letter goes on, we just keep coming back to Paul praying for them. And so we have this prayer for them again here, that God would direct their hearts. And specifically, he would direct it into two things, to the love of God 
and the perseverance of Christ. How do we understand those phrases? Because the love of God could be God's love for them, or it could refer to their love for God, depending on how we understand that word of. Do we understand this as God's love, or do we understand it as their love for God? Both are true. God can direct our hearts more and more into the experience of his own love, um, and God can move them to love him more. Both are true. And so which is it? It's not totally clear. Probably doesn't really matter a whole lot because both are true and both are important for them to love God more um, because of God's love for them so much, right? And so I tend to take it more as their love for God, that God would direct your hearts more into uh, you loving God. But either way, it's it, it, it's true and it's important. And their love for God is a direct response to God's love for them. And so may God direct your hearts into his very own love and your love for him. And then the, the second one, and into the perseverance of Christ, to the endurance of Christ. Again, is this Christ's endurance, that you would imitate Christ's very own endurance, or that you would you would endure because of Christ? And either way, uh, again, a true uh, the point of both of these seem to be that, that they, again, would be faithful and steadfast when you read it in context, that he's calling them to just grow in their depth of faithfulness to God. And that's why I tend to think that it's love for, for God and their perseverance on behalf of and because of Jesus, their endurance in the faithfulness of Christ. And so may God direct your hearts to love God more and to continue to endure on behalf of Jesus right there in your city. And so as we listen in on Paul as he writes this seemingly simple little paragraph, one of the things to just note out of that is we hear Paul's heart a bit here. We hear the things Paul values and the things Paul cares about and is concerned about here in these five verses. Paul wants to see the message about Jesus go forward with speed and honor, right? He he recognizes there's going to be opposition to that, and he, he wants to be delivered from that, not for his own sake so much, but so that he can continue to speak the word and, and preach the word and, and teach the word to people. And so rescue us from that so that the word can go forward with that. We hear his heart for his his churches that he's pastoring, that he cares about, that he's planted. He wants them to stay faithful and rooted in Jesus. He wants them to love God more and, and persevere in the faith more. And so he wants them to be strong enough to do that. We hear his confidence in God. And so we hear Paul's heart and we hear how God-centered his heart is and how mission-centered his prayers are on behalf of these people, that he really wants them to be faithful to, to the truth and he wants the message of the truth to continue to go forward. And it says a lot to us by way of example about the things that should shape our heart and drive our praying and our willing and the things that we really value in life as well. We can learn a lot as we listen in on Paul's prayers and Paul's heart for the things that really matter.